This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Now, the Australian clinical child psychologist, Dr Sarah Hughes, with advice on raising calm, confident, well-adjusted and resilient children, as presented in her new book, Parenting Made Simple. Sarah joined us two years ago with strategies for parents dealing with challenging teenage daughters. Today, she's back with tips to help parents and caregivers with everything from kids' challenging behaviour, emotional outbursts, friendship problems, issues with confidence and anxiety, and adjusting to parents' separation. A bit to get through, we'll see how far we get. Sarah holds a doctorate in clinical psychology and a PhD in child and adolescent anxiety disorders. She's with us from North Sydney, and thank you for that. Welcome. Good morning. Every child, of course, comes with their own unique sets of uh, challenges as well as joys. Are you focusing on the sorts of challenges that nearly all parents and caregivers will face here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Parenting Made Simple, it really covers six key topics. And I guess I I landed on those six key areas because they're the ones that I tend to have the most conversations about. Um, And obviously, every child is completely different. And there's differences in terms of the difficulties that kids might have within those areas. But they're definitely very, very common um, amongst all parents. Let's start with the the positives. If you're wanting to raise a calm, confident, well-adjusted, resilient child, and most people do, what are some (laughs) of the fundamentals that that, um, assist that? Definitely. And there's a whole range of things. I think that definitely the relationship that we have with our kids is really busy, uh, really busy, really important. I think we all get very, very busy often. And we sort of, I don't know, we can get so focused on sort of rushing between all the tasks that we have to complete that we forget to actually enjoy our kids. And sometimes they're challenging and they're not always enjoyable. Um, But we do forget to have that quality time with kids. And I think we read about it a lot. You know, we hear advice from lots of people saying, you know, spend quality time with your kids, enjoy that time. Um, But I think, and I'm guilty of this as well, I think we can sort of, you know, hear that at a surface level, but we don't necessarily follow through with that. And I think it's definitely one of the really important foundations when it comes to helping kids to be resilient and and well-adjusted. What are um, some of these six issues then? Perhaps we should uh, get into some of the challenging uh, behaviour. And what's the first of the six that you address? So in terms of with the challenging behaviour, the whole kind of premise of this particular chapter actually is just looking at challenging behaviour can actually be driven by so many different things. And often we sort of can blame that behaviour on the child and sort of think that that child's being naughty or they're being deliberately difficult. Um, But in many cases, which is not to say parents are at fault, but in many cases, uh, you know, there's things that we're doing as parents that's actually really without us meaning to, we're actually encouraging that challenging behaviour. But the biggest trick when it comes to behaviour is really understanding why a child's misbehaving. There's lots and lots of different strategies when we're trying to look at uh, behaviour in kids. Uh, But the difficulty is that with... It has to be the right match. So the strategy actually has to match why the behaviour is occurring. Otherwise, we don't sort of get any positive outcome from that. So the biggest thing with the chapter is actually helping parents to really explore why your child might be misbehaving, goes through lots of different reasons for that. And then actually what's unique about this book is that it really helps parents to match the correct strategies. Sometimes it can be the simplest thing. They're hungry or they're tired. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, it can be, but it can be a whole range of other things as well. It can be to do with their feeling like they're not getting that quality time with us, like we've said before. It can be because we're sending them mixed messages, um, either because those messages are mixed between parents, different parents have different rules, or it might also be that, you know, we're saying one thing with our words, but then our actions are sort of giving kids a different message. So if we're sort of consistently saying no, no, no with our words, but then we get tired and we sort of we give in or we sort of, you know, revert back and, and backflip on something we've said no to, that's also a mixed message. Message and we actually then inadvertently teach kids that the more that the the more that they press us, the more likely it is that they're actually going to get the outcome they want. You also talk about emotional outbursts, and they are part of development for just about everybody. Some, some more yeah. so than, than others. Uh, what's happening with them at a certain age and stage? So in terms of one of the big things with kids, that there's, they're going under huge changes, both in terms of their, their brain development, but also secondary to that, also their skill development. Um, and so with, with some of those skills, they're really fundamental to being able to regulate emotions. So things like being able to be flexible with our thinking, for example. So as adults, we're kind of quite well skilled at being able to mentally pivot from a, a problem to a solution. And kids are really still developing that skill. And, and so some of the tantrums and meltdowns that they have might actually be the result of that. Um, it can also be due to other things, just in terms of learning even to be able to identify emotions and then be able to sort of have the ability to sort of um, bring ourselves back down to neutral. Again, as adults, that's a skill that we've sort of had many, many years to practice. And, you know, we don't always get it right. Adults lose it sometimes as well. But for the most part, we're pretty good at being able to regulate our emotions and kids are definitely still learning those skills and so part of our job as parents and part of what we can do to help kids to sort of manage their behavior and their emotional meltdowns is to actually teach them those skills. How can you um, do that? What are some of the things you can actually do to assist your child learn how to calm themselves down? Yeah, definitely. So I think probably the biggest thing is actually about trying to help to sort of intervene earlier. And that can be really hard because some kids seemingly go from, you know, zero to 100 in a matter of seconds. Um, but a lot of the time it's a slower build than that. So one of the first things that I always encourage parents to do is to be really able to know what your child's tells are, so their tantrum tells, um, in terms of being able to tell when one's actually coming. So a lot of the time we end up spending a huge amount of time, you know, picking up the pieces after a tantrum. And so at the same time, a lot of parents will say, well, I don't have time to intervene early. I don't have time to be that sort of, you know, watchful over my child. But in actual fact, by intervening early, it's actually more time saving as well, because you're not then having to mop up and pick up the pieces of the tantrum at the other end as well. So knowing your, your child's sort of tantrum tells and their really early warning signs that they're starting to get frustrated is really important. And that's the point at which to intervene. And then it's about helping kids to there's a couple of different things. If a child's sort of too frustrated to think clearly, which they often are when they're in the middle of a meltdown because emotions flooding their brain, it's about trying to help to bring them back to neutral. So that's often through just distraction type strategies so it might be something like saying okay let's hit pause let's go and do some coloring in or play with some lego um let's go outside and kick a ball whatever it might be that you just need to take your child's mind off that whatever it is that's causing the distress for a minute much in the same way that if we're feeling stressed at work or you know we might go out for a walk or go to the gym or, or call a friend or something like that we're doing something to take our mind off it it helps to bring us back to neutral and then on the other side of that, furthering that skill building by help them to develop, for example, problem solving skills. So it's about trying to help kids to understand that sort of, you know, when there is a problem, there's often going to be a solution for that. And, and we need to kind of be able to hold ourselves together to be able to get to that point. So helping them to develop those problem solving skills is really important as well. Perseverance is what you're talking about, isn't it? 
Definitely. Um, and sort of not sort of, I guess, dropping our bundle for first off. But again, these, these are kids. And, and as much as we've had so much practice in terms of being able to learn these skills as adults, um, but also adults still make errors with this, myself included. You know, everyone has bad days and loses it sometimes. Um, so we can't sort of expect kids to be getting it right straight away either when they haven't had that practice yet. What are some of the common problems that children will have with friendship? Um, so it can range from a whole bunch of things. So, I mean, some kids are their friendship issue might be that they tend to zone and just really want to focus on one child in particular. So they um, find that that's their comfort area is just having one friendship and they're not very good at, and they need help kind of building skills in terms of being able to maintain and establish multiple friendships. Um, Some kids, it might be that they sort of develop some unhelpful, I guess, behaviours in terms of the way in which they're trying to engage with kids. So some kids who might be having trouble making friends, they might sort of discover that if they are a bit cheeky or if they're a bit sort of like the class clan or something like that, that becomes how they start to engage, which kids might find amusing to begin with, but longer term it can start to wear a bit thin and that strategy is not effective. But if the child doesn't have any replacement skills or, or other ways to be able to engage with kids, they continue to persist with it and that can cause friendship problems as well. And then obviously there's issues like bullying as well and that's a really common one that kids have difficulty with. The other thing with friendship is learning how to initiate and make yourself uh, someone who's appealing as a friend, if that makes sense. Um, and that is actually, actually a skill as well. If you're, uh, the, the way you present um, will offer an invitation to someone to want to spend time with you or perhaps have the reverse effect. And do you have to actually teach this skill sometimes to children? Absolutely. And I think, again, as adults, we, you know, we sort of just now have these skills. They're so automatic to us that we forget that they're actually skills. And like anything, you know, whether it's math or something academic or sometimes it is social, or sometimes it's emotional, there will be lots of kids who will just sort of implicitly develop these skills and they don't actually need any further assistance with it. But there'll also be a hell of a lot of kids who they do need a bit of extra help with it. And it's not that there's anything wrong with that child. Um, They're not deficient they're not you know abnormal in any way they just need a little bit of a boost to kind of learn those skills and once they have it they're sort of they're fantastic and they kind of go about their days and they're happy and resilient but yeah some kids need a little bit more help than others confidence issues you speak about getting children to be more brave and to avoid avoidance what are you getting at there So a lot of the time, uh, especially when kids have a little bit more of an anxious temperament, so they're a little bit more cautious, they're a bit more slow to warm up to new situations or new people, um, sometimes it can feel a bit when as parents that our job is to keep our kids happy um, and that it's our job to sort of protect them from anything that might be upsetting. And while in the short term that can be a really effective strategy and it does lead to our kids being happy in the here and now, Over time, what can really happen quite subtly and we're not even aware it's happening at the time is that we're actually inadvertently undercutting our kids' confidence. And and part of our job actually is to teach kids that it's okay to sort of feel unsure, it's okay to feel a bit nervous um, and that we can feel those things and still do what we need to do anyway. And, you know, as a very extreme example, if if we protect our kids too much and we're too sort of encouraging of keeping them in their bubble, um, you know, come to the time where they're teenagers, 
for example, they are likely to be quite reliant on us to be making decisions for them. They're not going to be able to do that, which as a child becomes a teen and they're spending more and more time away from their parents and out of the home, they do actually need to be able to have those sorts of skills. Likewise, they need to be able to sort of know how to sort of manage emotion and to be able to cope with sort of feeling uncertain or nervous and still make good decisions in those moments. Um, And so it is really important to encourage kids to be brave and obviously in a really graduated way. I'm certainly not suggesting that we sort of, you know, it's a sink or swim type scenario, but where we can, it's really good to be able to sort of encourage kids to be brave and show them that they're far more capable than they actually think they are. Is this another case where a parent needs to be aware of their own behaviour or their own um, patterns because there's long been the concern about over protecting uh, not just in a physical exploration sense but but also um, you know as you say getting out there and, and, and taking some of the emotional hits that we do as, as people and do you need to be aware again as a parent of whether you're almost interfering in them developing this resilience yeah and I mean it's hard right it's hard to sort of be able to catch that within ourselves and then almost you know do the complete opposite of what our instincts are screaming at us to do that is really hard Um, But it is really important to do that. And, yeah, it is really important to know, okay, this is going to be my natural default as a parent. I'm going to, you know, I myself might be anxious and so my parenting is going to be affected by that. And that's not necessarily problematic. It just requires us to be a little bit aware of it so we can make really conscious um, parenting decisions that are maybe in line with our, I guess, our parenting goals or our parenting philosophy, not just what our sort of reflex emotions are telling us to do. Back to the friendship issues, a listener asks a question. Uh, Do you have advice for an 11-year-old who's feeling left out of her friend group because they all have smartphones and she doesn't? Oh, so hard. Yeah, it's really tricky. And it does a couple of things with that I think definitely sort of 11 years old one of the really big things in terms of strengthening friendships just devices aside for a second one of the big things about strengthening uh, friendships is actually being able to have time with friends outside school hours so much in the same way that you know we might have work colleagues um, but if we perhaps have after work drinks with those colleagues for example or we have go out for a dinner or something like that it takes that friendship to a next level and starts to make it a bit more personal and it's very much like that with kids at school as well. Um, So helping kids to be involved in after-school activities where they have an opportunity to be able to interact with other kids, but also really um, coordinating playdates and things like that, it really allows for a strengthening of those friendships. In terms of devices, it's such a a tricky issue. I do I do think it's really important to weigh up, you know, if, for example, a child is the only one within a group of friends not to have a phone, um, while on the one hand it might go completely against your parenting grain to actually provide a phone to that child, um, it is really important to kind of take into consideration that this is how kids connect now. And we might not like that, but that actually is the case. And so I do think it's really important for us to, if it starts to get to a point where it actually is impacting a child's friendship and it actually can and I think the thing is that sometimes we might hear kids say oh but all my friends do this or all my friends parents let them do and we sort of tune it out because a lot of it's not true but in instances like this it actually can be true it can be true that a child's feeling really left out and is finding it difficult to be able to connect and maintain friendships if they are the only one 
not able to sort of be having contact with friends outside school hours um, without a phone. So the solution may be to get a phone, obviously with proper sort of parent monitoring and cautions, um, or the solution might be, you know, to allow child the child access to a phone, a parent phone, so that they can contact friends and have contact that way, if that might be a middle ground. Um, but it is important with issues like that to, I guess, just, just try to have an open mind in terms of is it possible that actually what the child's saying is correct. What are your key points for helping a worrier become less anxious? Also a tricky one. (laughs) Uh, I think in terms of one of the big things with anxiety in kids is that there's so much that we can do to completely change the trajectory for anxious kids. Um, So there's a lot of sort of interventions that are really, really effective. One of the biggest things is teaching kids how to manage their worries. So I go into it a lot more detail in the chapter on anxiety and kids in Parenting Made Simple, but a really important skill is being able to help kids to fact check their worries. So a lot of the time kids get really as do adults get really caught up in worries and it's it's like we just automatically believe that those worries are true so if we're thinking okay I'm going to fail my spelling test or I'm not going to be able to find my friends at recess today or you know worries like that which are common ones for kids um, or someone's going to break into the house for example that might be another one um, it's important to help kids to fact check that so instead of just automatically believing that the worries are true stepping back and thinking okay well you know have I actually ever failed a spelling test and have I done practice for my spelling test that might mean that it's going to allow me to do the best that I can do or has there actually ever been a break-in to our house has anyone in the street ever had a break-in um do my parents lock the doors before they go to bed um those sorts of things um but it's really important um to come back to the facts and not just let our anxiety sort of be the guiding factor in that Thank you very much, Sarah, for your uh, time with us today. Really appreciate it. Sarah Hughes, Dr. Sarah Hughes. She's an Australian clinical child psychologist and her new book is Parenting Made Simple.